So when I was at college, which was quite a few years ago now, um, the college had the motto, be the best you can be. Be the best you can be. I like that. I like that because it's not be successful or be the greatest or be like someone else or even be better than all the rest, but just simply be the best you can be. Or in other words, in this life, be the best version of you. Abraham Lincoln once said, whatever you are, be a good one. Be the best you can be. I'm sure that most of us, if not all of us, want to give our best in life and be the best that we can be. That when our days are over, we can say we did our best and we left the world a better place. How do we live the best possible life? However many days we have left. And when we live with factors outside of our control like money, health, bereavement, how do we give our best and be the best that we can be? Well, I've called this talk this morning, Living Your Best Life. And I want us to think about what the Bible has to say about us being the best we can be, living our best life. But first, I wonder, what does our culture say about living your best life? Well, maybe our culture says things like, you're living your best life when you've got lots of money, so play hard and work hard. Or you're living your best life if you've got that perfect relationship, so keep searching for the one. Or you're living your best life if you've got loads of friends, so be the life and soul of the party. Or you're living the best life if you've got the perfect body, so work out, work on your image. I could go on. Whilst there's nothing intrinsically wrong with these things, I wonder if they are driving or motivating us to live the best possible life. If they are the goal, then I wonder whether we're being a bit like the unwise builder Jesus spoke of, who's, who was building his life on a foundation of sand. But if we want to build on a firm foundation, if we want to be wise, we need to heed Jesus' words and have a different approach to the prevailing narrative of our culture. We need a kingdom approach. Colossians chapter 1 verse 10 says, Live a life worthy of the Lord." Live a life worthy of the Lord. A kingdom approach says to live our best life is to live a life worthy of the Lord. It may not involve riches. It will likely involve hardships, possibly suffering even. But if it is a life worthy of the Lord, if it's God's plan and his purpose for us, then ultimately it will be God's best for us. If we're living a life worthy of the Lord's, then we will be living our best life. It may not be how our culture defines best, but a life lived for the Lord's 
means it might just be possible to be the best we can be. So how do we live a life worthy of the Lord? What do we need? How do we do it? Well, Jesus often used agricultural imagery in his preaching, in his parables. So if it's good enough for Jesus, I'm going to do the same. And this morning, I'm going to use the image of a plant with two simple points. That if we want to live a life worthy of the Lord, then we're going to need, number one, the seed of the gospel. And number two, the reign of the Spirit. But first, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story about someone who was living their best life, someone who was living a life worthy of the Lord. He was a man from a place called Colossae, and he, uh, Colossae is located in the, the modern-day town of Honas in Turkey. And this man, he was a Gentile, a non-Jew. He'd come to faith through the, the mission of the Apostle Paul in Ephesus, probably around the year AD 52 to 55. And his name was Epaphras. And he was living his best life. Epaphras, this guy, is described in scripture as a faithful minister, a hard worker, a beloved and mature servant of Christ, and someone who was wrestling in prayer for the church. Here's my description of Epaphras. He was a good guy. He was a good, good guy. Why was Epaphras a good guy? Well, he was a good guy because he didn't just hear the gospel. He didn't even just receive the gospel. Epaphras grasped the gospel. He got it. He understood what it meant that he had been set free from the dominion of darkness and into the new life of the kingdom of, the, of, the kingdom of God. And because he grasped it, this good news of God's kind of like a seed, took root in Epaphras' heart. And there, like a plant, it grew and it flourished and it began to bear fruit. What kind of fruit? Well, this kind of fruit. After coming to faith, Epaphras went back to where he was from, to a place called the Lycus Valley. And there he told people about Jesus, told them about how Jesus is the rescuer, the one in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That Jesus can deliver us from the darkness of sin and into the freedom and into the joy of God's kingdom. And people, well, they, they got it. They too got the gospel. They came to Christ. And then the next thing you know, Epaphras is there planting churches in the towns of Hierapolis, then over here in Laodicea, and then over here in Colossae. Like a seed that is planted, grows, flourishes, and bears fruit, Epaphras was a man bearing gospel fruit. He was a man living his best life. He was a man living a life worthy of the Lord. Epaphras got it. He grasped the gospel, and so did the churches he planted So when the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Colossae, as we've just heard, he says in verse 6, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, 
just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. The Colossians got it too. They truly understood God's grace in the gospel. Now this was a church that Paul had neither planted nor had even met them. Yet he writes to them just overflowing with thankfulness. Thankful that they too are bearing fruit because they've got the gospel. They've got everything they need to live a life worthy of the Lord. Now when you came in this morning, hopefully you should have received a little bookmark um, with a seed stuck to it. If you didn't, don't worry, you can pick one up at the end, there's plenty left. But I'd like you just to take it in your hands and to, to look at the seed if you've got it there. Now I'm no gardener, I'm no expert in these matters, but I do know that in simple horticultural terms, if you have a seed, then something can grow from it. And if there's growth, then in time the plant will bear fruit or reproduce. Correct me if I'm wrong. But there's got to be a seed in the first place. There's got to be a seed in the first place. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, is like a seed. It contains everything you need to grow and flourish and live a life worthy of the Lord's. If you have the seed of the gospel, if you grasp the good news of Jesus, then like Epaphras, like the Colossians, you too can live a fruitful life for God. But what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Well, you'll see on the bookmark, the seed which is stuck to it, is encircled by the word hope. The word hope. Because the gospel is about hope. And what is this hope? Well, as one commentator puts it, It's not a vague wish for the future, but an assured reality in the present. Not a vague wish for the future, but an assured reality in the present. It is a sure and certain hope today for what is to come. Here again those words Paul wrote to the Colossians. We've heard of your faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. We have this hope stored up for us in heaven. Our passport to eternity has already been stamped. We're part of this kingdom that has no borders, not even death. We have this future hope. This future hope that one day we will see the Lord in all his glory that one day we will know the Lord fully, that one day we will be with the Lord forever. And no matter what happens in our lives and the world we're part of, we live at the moment in times of such great uncertainty, whatever's going on in your life, whatever's going on in the world around us, this hope cannot be changed, this hope cannot be taken away from us. It is a sure and certain kind of hope. This hope, it moves our hearts, it transforms our thinking, it changes us. 
And if we grasp this hope, then we start to grow in faith and love. Like the shoots that spring up from a seed as it starts to grow, faith and love spring up from the hope of the gospel. The gospel changes us. Now, it's hard to see change in ourselves. It's much easier to see change in other people, in those around us. It may be that at some point you have seen someone who's become a Christian change. You've noticed that they're becoming more trusting in God than the things of this world. Or you've noticed that they're becoming more loving than they were previously. You've noticed faith and love springing up in their life. If we've got the gospel, if we've got this hope, it doesn't mean we're all sorted. It doesn't mean we can say, right, we've now got faith, we've now got love, we've got everything sorted. No, it means we're growing in faith. It means we're growing in love because of this hope we have. And it's ongoing. The love Paul talks about is not just love in general, but specifically the Colossians' love for one another. As he describes it, your love in the Spirit and your love you have for all God's people. A byproduct of the hope of the gospel is that we have this growing love for one another. You know, we're not a club as the church, we're not even just a collection of believers. We're a family, and as a family, we grow in love for each other. May those outside of the church see us and say, see how they love one another, and also be drawn to Christ's family of hope, faith, and love. So Paul was overflowing with thankfulness. He was thankful because the Colossians, they'd received this seed the seed of the gospel. They had this hope and it was resulting in growth. They were growing deeper in faith and deeper in love and they were starting to live a life worthy of the Lord, living their best life. If you grasp the seed of the gospel, if you get a hold on this hope we have, then you will grow in faith and you will grow in love And as you grow in faith and love, you will be transformed by God and his kingdom purposes. And this will overflow because it's good news. Good news to those around us and for those around us. It bears fruit. So in the seed of the gospel, in this sure and certain hope, we have in our possession everything we need to live a life worthy of the Lord's. So if you've got the seed, there's potential for growth, but it's going to need watering. It's going to need watering. Verses 3 to 8, we've got this wonderful overflowing uh, thankfulness from Paul in the first part of the reading, but he doesn't end the letter there. It would have been a very short letter if he did. He goes on, verse 9, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. 
You've got the seed, Paul's saying. You've got the seeds. And now we're going to pray, pray, and keep on praying for that seed to grow in you. The seed of the gospel needs watering. It needs the rain. And the rain is the Spirit of God. If we've got the seed of the gospel, then we need the rain of the Holy Spirit to bring about that growth. To grow in faith and love, we need God's help. To strengthen us in our spiritual life, we need God's help. To live a life worthy of the Lord's, how can we do this on our own? We need God's help. The helper is the empowering presence of God who enables growth. So we need to be praying for the rain. What happens when the rain falls? Well, let's see from Paul's prayer. He says, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. The Spirit gives wisdom. The Spirit gives understanding. The Spirit helps our minds to understand the gospel and to know God's will, to know his plans, his purposes for us, for our lives. We need the Spirit at work in our minds, in our thinking, watering the seed. Paul goes on, verse 10, so that you'll bear fruit in every good work. We need to be saturated with the Holy Spirit, the presence of God in our lives to bear fruit for God. Otherwise, we're just going to dry up and wilt like a plant with no water. Still in verse 10, Paul says, growing in the knowledge of God, the Spirit helps us go deeper in understanding who God is and what he has done for us. The Spirit helps us go deeper. Now for our boater friends who are with us, you may not be aware, we've been spending in this church the past year um, doing what's called a year of exploration. We've been seeking God's vision for the next five years. And we've still got some more work to do on it, but the emerging sense we're getting is God's telling us to go deeper, to go deeper with him, go deeper as a church, and go deeper in our outreach to the community. Here's Paul praying for the Colossians to go deeper. And I really feel the Lord is saying to us, you know what, we've got to be praying for each other to go deeper. And if we do that like a seed that's planted and is, is watered, starts to grow and flourish and bear kingdom fruit. So it will happen in our midst. Verse 11, Paul says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. We need the Spirit's power at work in us. You know, we can pray for God's power to do the miraculous, to pray for healing for people. But here it says, pray for God's power so that you may endure, so that you may keep going. We need the reign of the Spirit to fill us regularly, to keep going. It's not easy being a Christian. 
following Jesus isn't always easy. We need the Spirit helping us, strengthening us, giving us power to keep going. And finally, verse 12, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of holy people in the kingdom of light. You know, the Spirit releases thankfulness in us, and that is a good thing. It leads us to worship, to worship our Father God, and leads us back to the seed, to the gospel. Paul tells the Colossians, we've not stopped praying for you. We've not stopped praying for you. Here's a challenge for you and a challenge for me. When did we last pray for someone to grow spiritually? When did we last pray for someone to mature in faith? When did we last pray for someone to grasp the gospel and to be filled with the Spirit? We've not stopped praying for you. You know, let's do likewise. Let's take a leaf out of Paul's book. Let's do likewise. Let's pray for each other. Let's pray for God to water the gospel seed that it may grow and flourish and bear fruit. And you'll see on the back of the bookmark you received this morning, there's some space to write the names of a few fellow believers. And don't do that, but find a quiet moment today and just ask God to put on your heart three fellow believers who he's calling you to pray for this week and to pray for to pray that they may live a life worthy of the Lord's. That they may grow in faith. That they may mature as God intends. None of us knows how many days we have left on earth. But from this day forward, do you want to be the best you can be? Do you want to be the best you can be? However many days you've got, we don't know. Do you want to be the best you can be? Well, if you want to be the best you can be, then live a life worthy of the Lord's. And if you want to live a life worthy of the Lord's, then remember this. You've got all you need in the seed of the gospel and in the reign of the Holy Spirit. So get a grasp on this good news and pray for the rain. Amen.